as they're exiting, um, I do want to share with you, I remember early in the series, I talked about a long-range plan that the planning team that had got together, and that's where we ended with the mission and vision, but they did create a five-year long-range plan with goals and such. There's, it, it's not in your bulletin. There's not a hand up for you to pick up, um, but you can find it on the website at fc2b.org, and then you can scroll down and you'll find long-range plan there on the home page. And you can click on it, download it, and read through it. It's a long-range plan encompassing the next five years um, here at First Christian Church of the Beaches, where they're going, um, where where we have different goals set on on how we're moving forward in the mission. And and you'll see that there's some metrics, some data, some things that we've attached to it to to determine like, are we moving in the right direction, right? So it's kind of like a compass or coordinates to figure out if we're moving in the right direction towards where God is calling us and doing it the way God has told us to do it. And so you can go through there. It's broken down into three sections, really, uh, um, how we're loving everyone, how we're growing in Christ, and how we're going into the world. And so I encourage you to download it, look it over, um, and, and if you have questions, feel free to reach out to myself, um, any of the elders, or any other staff member will be happy um, to talk to you about what's in there and get you pointed in the right direction um, for, for what's coming next. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 16 and go through verse 17. If, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, turn to page 1116 in the Pew Bible. And then once you're there, I have a second scripture for you to get to. It's almost, you know, I remember the days in Sunday school where who can get to Romans 1, verse 16, the fastest? And once you knew you were a couple pages behind, you waited to hear what the next one was. And we're going to need someone to read this one as well. And I'd be like, oh, well, I'll get to the second one. Well, everyone's getting to the first. I'll give you time to get to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And then put your hand in your Bible, flip through some pages. We're going to go over to Ephesians after we get through Romans. And we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. That's all I'm going to tell you for right now. So you just need to get to Ephesians chapter 4, which I believe is page 1161 in your pew Bible. And then put your bookmark in Ephesians and get back to Romans. All sorts of Bible study drills we're doing here in the middle of worship today. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it is written, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here ends the reading of God's word, if you would join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, brothers, sisters, today we embark on a new journey together. A journey that will take us as a community of faith 
to places we have never been before. And it will enable us as a church to make life-changing impact on others in ways that are only possible with the help of God. This journey will require us to be different. This journey will require us to think differently than the world. This journey will require us to act differently than the world. This journey will require us to be different from the world. And this is for God's glory and for the very sake of His kingdom. Now, what we will achieve on this journey won't be written down in a history book and talked about for ages to come. Nor are there, are there plans for a documentary on Netflix or for some future streaming service to be done with what we will accomplish here. Yet, I believe if we remain faithful to the very calling Jesus has given us, if we run this race and run it with all endurance, if we become so laser-focused on Jesus, what we will achieve is an impact immeasurable for generations. An impact so big, it reaches, not, it reaches beyond right now, and it reaches beyond just the people we know right now. But it reaches generations, an impact that great. You see, when Paul writes here to the Christians in Rome, to the Roman Christians, he's beginning here in verses 16 and 17 and telling them exactly what he is about. What the next 16 chapters that Paul writes in this letter are going to be all about. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. For this journey that we're on now, folks, has no room to be ashamed of the gospel. There's no room, there's no space. There's no time to be ashamed. For you see, the world around us has changed drastically over the last decade. We've all seen it. We all have opinions about it, how it's come about, and what has transpired to get us here to where we are in 2023. Some of them were right about, some of them were wrong about, and some of them, they're just fun ideas that we hope we're not right about. the very once slow erosion of tolerance in our world towards Christians and our faith and our believing and our living has now been greatly accelerated by the speed of light. There is no longer a slow erosion of the level of tolerance as Christians we receive in this world, but rather it is almost disappeared overnight. Gone are the days 
when we could walk into a grocery store or the post office or our places of work or our schools and have an assumption or an idea that over 80% of the people we would encounter and talk to would claim faith as Christians and belief in Jesus Christ. No, the, the stark reality is much dire than that. See, the truth is, here at the beaches, between Atlantic Beach, Neptune Beach, and Jacksonville Beach, there are 43,000-plus people living in this area. And of those 43,000-plus, there are just north of 37 churches located here in the beaches. And yet, still, there is less than 10% of the population worshiping Jesus. For those wondering the math, that's just under 4,300 people that have faith in Christ. Which means that if everyone you know believes in Jesus, you are a statistical anomaly. There's a greater chance that you're the only one who believes in Jesus in your circle of friends outside of Christ. For you see, here at the beaches, we aren't saturated with Christ. We aren't saturated by the gospel. No, what we are saturated by is the allure and the deception of the good life. I stand here and preach from the Word of God on Sunday and you sit there and you see the window behind me. The number of people in their Lululemon joggers and dogs and families running by, walking by, some even parking in the parking lot filled with their beach toys headed to the beach. You see it. I've seen it. It's there. Over the past 12 months, the parking lot here at First Christian Church of the Beaches has been overflowing only two times. The first was last Easter. We have the Easter sunrise service and around 1,500 people come and worship and we celebrate that Jesus Christ did not remain dead, but that three days later the Lord raised him from the dead, solidifying the truth and the promise of our salvation. And then the second time, the second time occurred this past October. There happened to be a full moon in October, and there was a full moon rise. And a local yoga sound bath instructor, without our permission, decided to use our parking lot as the gathering point for everyone to go out on the beach. Over a thousand people gathered to lay in the sand, to worship the moon, and receive healing power. We live in a fallen world filled with people living their lives, believing that it is better than it would be with Jesus. We live in such a world where there is no longer time for us to be quiet about our faith and keep it in our pocket. 
Because by doing so, we not only allow, but we give full permission for people to go worship the moon and say, you do you, I'll be concerned with me. And all we've done in that moment, according to Scripture, is allowed them to walk through the wide gate of destruction. We showed no love. We showed no grace. We stood not for truth. And we were not bold. But rather, it would come across and appear as if we were ashamed of the gospel. Understandably so, the world's changed. It's told us you can't be so bold with your faith. Wake up. You can't be so bold with your faith. Heck, you can't even talk about your faith with relatives at a dinner table. It's too controversial. Stay away from it. The world has told us, and slowly we have agreed to each little bit. When I remember as a kid, I was once asked, how is it that you boil a frog? You put them in regular water and slowly heat it up, degree by degree, for if you throw them in a pot of boiling water, they'll hop right out. Folks, the world and its slow erosion of allowing us to be bold and public in our faith, they, are boi they have boiled us degree by degree. And we've allowed it to happen. But this new journey, this vision of where we're going, calls us to be bold in our faith. No longer can we sit and be quiet, for it calls us to be faithful to Christ's commands. And it calls us to do simply what Christ has called us to do from the very beginning. You see, Paul here encourages us. He encourages us not to be ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it's the gospel alone that has the power of salvation. But for us to reach this point where we're not ashamed of the gospel first requires us to do some maturing, some growing up and some growing in to Christ. And that's where Paul writes to the Ephesians. If you want to join me there in chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul here is writing about the unity in the church, but he makes some distinctions for us. He tells us that as the body of Christ, that as the church, the big toe cannot grow if the rest of the body is not growing alongside it. That our growth in Christ is not an individual task, but something done together as one body. But he also makes another point in here. It's a bit hidden, but it's there. And he essentially says that it would be quite strange and weird if a boy never grew up to be more than just a boy, never reaching manhood. And in saying that, he's also saying that it would be strange for a Christian to never grow and to never mature. So it's our vision here, the journey for us to go on, that we will become a gospel-centered people and families in the beaches, community, and beyond. That's great, but what does it even mean? Those are fun words, but if we don't understand what it means, we can't get behind it. So I want you to imagine with me for a minute. Imagine a map of the beach, of our beaches community. I remember when I moved here in 2016 and got in my car and the GPS pulled up as I was driving down 3rd Street and half of it was blue. What happened to my map? I lost half of it. The ocean's there, of course, but if we imagine the map of our beaches community here, and now we imagine that here at 2125 Oceanfront, right here where the sanctuary is located, we drop a single drop of ink at that location, and we can watch as that ink does not stay in that one spot, but it slowly begins to spread and saturate every fiber it is able to saturate. But now imagine, imagine the same map, but your home, where you live, where God has planted you. And you are the single drop of ink. And when we look around, we look at our map as a whole, we begin to see a community that becomes saturated and impacted by the gospel and by Christ in a real and meaningful way. I mean, so saturated. We're, we're talking about a saturation level where it's, it's, you're out on the sand and you want to build a sandcastle, but you've gone past the high tide mark and you're in the wettest of sand where you can't even get a structure to stand up. We want, to, we want the community to be that saturated with the gospel, so inundated that it changes our very consistency of who we are. A community of believers not ashamed of the gospel, making an impact right 
where you are now. But you see, to be gospel-centered isn't only to make an impact on those outside of the faith or those outside of the church, but it is also an impact to be made within our faith community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, as Christians, what I can tell you is that none of us have finished the race yet. None of us have completed the journey. Now, there will be a day when our journey has come to an end and this life is no more and we will come face to face with our Creator. And on that day, we will be glorified and complete where sin will be no more. But so in this life, this faith is to be a journey. Which means as gospel-centered people, as gospel-centered families, we are to help others grow in their faith. We have traveled part of this journey. None of us are experts, so none of us get to sit there and say, I know everything about everything. But all of us have traveled some distance in this faith. We all have gone through different storms, different trials, different tribulations. We've gone through celebrations. We've come to understandings of grace and knowledge of Christ that others have yet to study and even come across. But as we understand that a toe cannot grow without the rest of the body also growing alongside it, so it stands that we cannot grow unless the rest grow with us. And so it looks like this. It looks like whatever journey of faith we've just completed and gone on before hitting the next step, before continuing on, we turn around and go back to where we came from and find someone else about to go through that same journey. And we don't tell them how to get across. We walk with them. For this isn't meant to be done alone. And then when we walk through them and get to our next destination, there will be somebody there to pick us up and walk with us. For all of us are called to make disciples. You don't have to be the expert. For example, you know, about two years ago, my pride and my ego and the way I was leading was destroying this faith community here at First Christian Church of the Beehives. And a group of five elders got together and called out my sin to me. They could have done the easy thing, and the easy thing would be to get rid of the pastor at that point. Too big of a headache, too big of a problem. Yet, the gospel for them was greater than that, and they reached out with grace offering a chance for repentance and growth through that. And it was during that season that I grew to understand God's patience and His loving kindness as I had never known before. The words, while we were yet sinners, weighed heavier and freer than they had ever read before. And so, when I got through the season, learning of patience and loving kindness, I didn't continue on 
through my journey, but rather ran back to find others in the midst of a struggle themselves to remind them and show them of God's patience and his loving kindness so that they too could grow in grace and grow in Christ. For you see, being gospel-centered isn't about achieving some metric. It's not about achieving some number of people to be here in worship and the number of seats that are filled or the amount of money that's given or the number of baptisms that occur. There is no metric that can quantify the true growth in Christ. And for gospel-centered people, we care about other people and we care about growing in Jesus in such a way that it is the gospel and the gospel of Jesus alone, not anything else that can help us in all of life's journey. And then it's actually living like that is true. Not ashamed. Not like a child easily distracted. Dads, moms, I've, I've got some advice for you, but not because I'm a great dad, but because I once was a kid. Don't just raise your kids to be good people. Raise them to know Christ. And not to live for their dreams and not to live for your dreams, but to live for the glory of God. You want to saturate and change the world? It begins in our homes. It begins with our family. It begins with our friends. It begins with our neighbors. The ocean, in order to saturate the ground, doesn't leap over tall buildings in a single bound, but rather goes to the very next grain of sand that's in front of it. We don't have to travel the earth to make an impact for God. God has planted you where you are to make an impact for Him now. This is the journey. This is the vision. All along, to be faithful to what Christ commanded us from the very beginning. For you see, we're here because we understand that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he was resurrected so that our sins are forgiven. But as Nancy said, it doesn't mean we get to remain the same. If we are still who we were 10 years ago and we've been with Christ for 10 years, we have not been with Christ for 10 years. For Jesus, Jesus says that we must die too. We must die to ourselves. That we must die to our ideas. We must die to our pride, and we must die to our desires, and we must die to our identity in this world, and to live every minute and not waste one breath for Jesus Christ. For this isn't a democracy. We don't get to vote on Jesus as to whether or not he is the king. He is the king. And he calls us to live our life for him.